The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 106 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier, and what a fun conversation we have for you this week. But first of all, I want to thank one of our listeners, uh, listener B-Ball Max on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for all of your kind words and your five-star review. We truly appreciate it. It means a lot to us, so thank you. Uh, This week in the conversation, my guest, Al Lampkin, on social media, we've had some of you listeners have said uh, Al is a legend, or he's, you know, one of the greatest of all times, and I have to agree. Al has been an entertainer, uh, a magician. He's been on The Tonight Show. He's um, he's just worked with all these incredible performers, and we talk all about it. And to have a legend like Al sitting here across from me was so fun. And I really wish we were recording from the minute he got here until the minute he left, because He's just funny all the time and such a great, great guy. So we got that coming up as well as this week in my Latter-day Life. I'll tell you about a guy who works in a field very, very different from my own and our conversations. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And today, here in the Latter-day Live studios, we have a legend in Latter-day Saints. A legend in his own mind. Yeah, I no, know. a true legend in Latter-day Saint entertainment. Someone who knows everyone, who has done everything. My guest is Al Lampkin. Al, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. It's one of the finest I've ever written. <laughs> So it might not shock you already, 30 seconds in, to know that Al is a comedian, he is an actor, he is a magician, and a true jack-of-all-trades in the entertainment world, a true entertainer. Yeah, jack-of-all-trades, master of none. I know the expression. (laughs) No, not at all. Al, you have really done just about everything, and there aren't a lot of people out there anymore. I think it used to be more common that you kind of did it all. You were a true entertainer. Don't you think kind of the entertainers has kind of gone away and everybody specializes now? Well, I never learned to tap dance. I want to make sure that you understand that. So I'm not an all around (laughs) entertainer, but this, you know, in Las Vegas, they used to have opening acts and they no longer do that. They don't have opening acts. But I wanted to tell you, I had this on my agenda because you, I want to know what your deal was all about. So I went to your blog, your site, and I saw, oh, 10 or 15 minutes of Parker Jacobs' interview. I know most of their family. And I did an album, and I mentioned this to you, called Latter-day Night Live. Yes, which we've got to talk about. And because you don't have visuals here, but on the back cover is uh, Christian Jacobs and his sister, uh, Rachel, when You're she was a me. little girl. That's Christian Jacobs? Right there. Oh, did I? I think I sent you a cover of this. Yeah, I, yeah. I looked at the cover. I didn't realize that was Christian. So, that, Christian Jacobs is the lead singer of the Aquabats. And here's a picture, ladies and gentlemen, as you can see. You put on your 3D glasses right now. <laughs> and here's a picture of the Aquabats on stage performing. And that's me in the middle right there. I'm playing the mayor of uh, whatever city he was supposed to be appearing in. I was going to ask you about that because you sent me that clip. So you were in an Aquabats promo video. Love those guys. Love those guys. That... Christian, are you listening to this? It's time for me to come back and do another show. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. I mean it. Al, you've kind of done everything. You seem to know everybody. No, I don't. But the uh, Rachel, talk about her for just a minute. She was at her prime, you know, doing all these LDS movies. Oh, what a cute little girl. But I was doing my magic shows, and I went to her school. I didn't know it was her at the time. Maybe I did. I don't know. But anyway, the teacher had all the kids write me a letter. That was always cool. And I'd get home, and, you know, in a week or so, I'd get a stack of letters, and 
in amongst them was a letter from Rachel. And she says, oh, Mr. Lampkin, I want to come along and be your assistant and travel the world with you. <laughs> so 20 or 30 years later, I think she was married by that time. I sent her that letter because I kept it all that time because I knew awesome. she was. And, uh, and we, this was Christian and Parker's sister, Rachel. Right. That's right. Awesome. No, 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 no. You have it backwards. Christian was Rachel's brother. Oh, okay. Yeah, Rachel's yeah. the Let, important Let's one. get our... Our, our, our avid listeners will remember Parker Jacobs, who was a designer for Paul Frank. He plays the uh, scientist in all the Aquabats TV shows. Yeah, but if they watch LDS movies, they'll know Rachel, too. Because yeah, Rachel's she's the done a cute ton. little girl in all Parker those movies. Parker talked about yeah. her a lot. Becca, or Rebecca, married a guy who had a venue where they bring... Uh, People could have a party and come in. Well, I went in there and I entertained all the employees, and that's when I ran into Becca again. I was, oh, hey, Becca, oh, it's so good to see you, and so on and so forth. And Kim, Kimball, he is in a movie I did, a short movie. It's an interstitial movie. Oh, you don't know what that is. When cable first started showing movies, they would end on an odd moment, like it it ran till. 1040. Well, that meant they had 20 minutes to kill before they started the next movie. So they started to drop little movies in there. And then MTV came along and said, hey, oh, there's a place we can advertise albums. So they started filling that slot. But during that time, I ran into, and I don't remember his name right now, but he was on Bewitched. He was one of the two husbands. Anyway, he was making interstitial movies. So I made a little one-reeler movie. And Kimball is, is in that movie, mm. and uh, he did a great job on that. That's fun. And that's on my website, by the way, you yeah. know, al-lampkin.com. Well, before we get into all the new technology, the website and everything <laughs> else, let's take it way back. And uh, so let's go way back to when you were born. I'm from way back, yes. Yeah, I don't mean way back. You I know. was born at a very early age. <laughs> Where were you born? Where'd you grow up? Born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Yeah, true Hollywood boy. Actually, well, actually, yeah, because my grandpa, my grandfather was an art director and an assistant director, and he has a slew of credits. Uh, And, of course, he's moved on now, but I really looked up to him. Yeah. So you were born, what was growing up in, in L.A. like when you were young? And before I jump to that and tell you what L.A. was like, and my mom was in the early, the earliest Our Gang comedies before it was called Our Gang comedies. And my, no kidding. Yeah, so our listeners may know Little Rascals. But yes, Little Rascals, before them. Before it was Little Rascals. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, called yeah. Our Gang. So your mom was in Our Gang. No, no, no. But it was before it was Our Gang. It was the early ones, the very, mm. very, but I have a still picture of that. And my dad was in radio. And so... I got to see all the uh, sound effects, you know, she, a sheet of metal being shook for thunder and and uh, horse hooves, coconuts on gravel. And so I, I was raised in a make-believe world. But what was Los Angeles like? Well, it's, <laughs> it's so different now. I was born and raised in Highland Park, which is northeast Los Angeles. Yeah. And if you drive through there now... I'll tell you, there's not, there'd probably be a lot of doctors raised there because the spray painting on the walls, you can't read them. So uh, they'd probably make good doctors. But it has changed immensely since I was born. Because I was born in... And that tells you how old I am. <laughs> but I, we, we lived on a dirt alley, actually. And, you know, it was the end of the Depression. And... Uh, I used to walk to school, and the one time I took my shoes off and walked to school, boy, did I get in trouble for that. Hit them in a drain pipe, went to school without my shoes. Oh, yeah, we can't afford shoes. And uh, <laughs> I, I got in a lot of trouble with that, but I digress. Were you yeah. raised in the church? No, I've been in the church uh, about um, 45 years Oh, okay. Probably, yeah. So you weren't raised in the church. You you grow up. Did you get the Hollywood bug early in your life? Well, because of my grandfather and my father and my mother, you know, I and I loved movies and I watched all the comedians, you know, on television. We had a little 
we were the first in our neighborhood to have television. Of course, it was black and white then, and I watched Buster Keaton and, and all those old-time, Laurel sure. and Hardy and Abbott and Costello and all those guys. So I cut my teeth watching those guys. That's, comedy was probably a bigger influence than movies because I, my whole career has been comedy, and now that I've, well, I've actually retired from comedy. I gave up my magic show, it was comedy and magic, uh, a year and a half ago, and went back to just doing movies and television because I'd done a lot of that before, but it was, you know, in between the other acts. And now that's all I'm doing. And actually that means that I'm broke, desperate, and out of work. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true actor. Yeah. So you grow up in, in LA, you get to, through school. After uh, high school, where did that take you? Well, I joined the Navy when I was 17, and uh, that I, those were good years. I was served for three and a half years, and uh, I don't know what else to tell you other than eventually yeah. they kicked me out, and, and here I am. You finish your time at the Navy. Where did you go from there? Well, where did I go after the Navy? Yeah. Well, I went back home, and at that time, I guess I was living uh, in Highland Park again, not particularly with my parents. That didn't work out too well. And I was a bartender. Mm. When I and I would started doing that when I was twenty. See, I was given phony ID cards to the bar, the guy, the owner. So he thought I was twenty one. He started me out in a beer bar, <laughs> and that's actually when I started doing magic uh, over the bar and entertaining the crowds. Do you remember and, your first trick? <laughs> well, not really, but the torn and restored napkin was one I learned from a bar, another bartender, and that stayed with me for a long time. Take a napkin, tear it up, and. And then uh, people think, oh, it's right there in your hand. You pull the one out of your hand. It's whole, too. And uh, that stayed with me for a long time. Awesome. So you're a bartender doing a little bit of magic. When did this transition into, I'm going to have a career in comedy and magic? Well, there's really no defining line. It just kind of, you just kind of move in that direction. Because I work jobs, but... In fact, I was in real estate for a while, and, and finally the broker asked me to leave because I was on the phone all the time trying to book shows. I don't blame him. Got rid of him. He was paying the phone bill. <laughs> but I, my specialty was corporate after-dinner banquets, and that was my specialty. But I ended up going on a USO tour. I did five or six USO tours, traveled all Germany, uh, Japan, Okinawa, Guam, Philippines, Korea, all over performing for the soldiers and sailors. I did cruise ships, did a bunch of cruise ships. Those were cool. The only problem with both of those is when you're gone, the agents don't think of you. And also, they know that if they try to book you for uh, Pepsi-Cola's annual banquet that's going to happen in three months, you might not be around because you're accepted a cruise ship, which will be for 18 days going to Rio de Janeiro, and you're going to get a lot of money, so they don't book you. Mm. Do you love magic? Like, do you have a passion for it? <laughs> oh, do any magicians listen to this show? We probably, uh, yes. In fact, I know ooh. one for sure. Oh, no. Tell him to plug his ears. A magician named Michael, but other than Michael, I don't know if we have other magicians. Oh, yeah, I was trying to avoid that question. <laughs> well, not really. Oh, interesting. No, but I, I love to perform. I love the reaction of the audience. Mm. And uh, I am i can't sing, and I'm too nervous to steal, so I turn to magic, you know? Yeah. And uh, I know a lot about magic, and I'm not bragging. It's just because I was, since I was a little kid, I started reading, 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 watching, reading, watching. But now uh, I... I I don't really have that desire to yeah. perform magic. I'm a member of two main magic clubs. One is the International Brotherhood of Magicians in Salt Lake, and I served as president for two years. And then the Society of American Magicians, which meets a little closer down here in the uh, Orem area. And uh, I was secretary for that for about three years. And I love to go to those meetings because those are my buddies. And other than the church, I have better friends, magicians, than in the church, really, because where do you see your f friends from the church? You have, what, 
two or three socials during the year, and you see them every Sunday. And you know, and I got good friends in the church, but we don't hang out. We don't go to dinner together. But yeah. with the magicians, before the meetings, you know, there's a couple of us. We'll go out, and after the meetings, we'll go places, and we fool around with magic. But when you talk about the passion of magic, I, I, I'm not passionate about it anymore. Maybe at one time I was really drawn to it. You have to be to be good. Do you, do you know Carrie Summers? Oh, Carrie's a good buddy of mine. Yeah, Carrie's been on the show. Ah, yes. Yeah, Carrie's he, an old He and his mine. other personal uh, personas. Yeah. He, he come in and he's, oh, you know, you know, why I seen with Clem. What? I should have seen it with Clem. Because he's a ventriloquist. They didn't yeah. know what I was doing here. Carrie, for our, our avid listeners, Carrie is an Elvis impersonator. He's uh, He's been on the show. Oh, he's fantastic. Oh, you talk about showman. No, yeah, you say he's an Elvis impersonator, but he's also a magician yeah. and a ventriloquist, and he might have learned how to tap dance. I'll talk yeah, to you about that. Carrie is an amazing guy. He oh, I love the man. Have on the show. Love the man. For Make sure you send him this so he hears me say, I love the man. I will. I okay, will send okay. him that. Um, so at some point, you find the church, you said about 45 years yeah. ago. And yeah. Uh, so how did that happen? How did you end up finding the church? Uh, now, what would you think? What would be the logical thing? Yeah, I have no I clue. I met a girl. Oh, Come yes, on. of course. Duh. Yes, yes. Duh. How and, did I not think of that? Of yeah. course. So uh, I eventually, you know, I developed my own testimony, and I no longer see that girl. But uh, Where were you living when this happened? Uh, Highland Park. So you were in L.A. East L.A., yeah. Yeah, so you're in L.A. And, and I, was a me- I joined, and I became a member of the Highland Park Ward, which is in the Glendale Stake in California. Did you just, how did you meet the girl? Uh, she was a neighbor. Yeah. And you just started dating and she said, why don't you come to church with me? Probably. Yeah. That's a long time ago, you know. Yeah. I don't really remember. But I'm married now to a wonderful girl and we were sealed in the Provo Temple. We've been married for over 40 years. She's a returned missionary from Japan. And she, I'm, I hope she renews my option every year. <laughs> that is pretty great. So uh, you keep doing magic. You're touring all around the world. When did this transition into acting? Well, there really was no transition because I had an agent, Coralie Jr., in Los Angeles. And if there was a job that I might be logical for to go audition, she'd send me out there. And so all through my career, I was performing and uh, also doing shows. And I am just picked up my resume here to remind me of things. I mean, you know, like Columbo, that was way, 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 way a long time ago. So you were on yeah. Columbo. Yeah. That and is amazing. Why? I just, I mean, it's so <laughs> iconic. Al, that's a big deal. Uh, okay. Don't well, you think that's a big deal to be on Columbo? He, yeah. He, and I watch that show a lot, you know. You know, I and I, okay, I'll tell you my Peter Falk story. Yes, Peter uh, Falk, by the way, one of the most fascinating, and I have a lot of friends who do impressions. That's one that everybody does. Everybody loves doing. Yeah, but they got to quit doing it because the younger generation they don't know who he is. Yeah, Peter Falk had the great eyes and the patting on the head, and he was fantastic. So here we are. We're doing the this episode at the Hollywood Magic Castle, and. Well, I have two parts of this story. The first part, they called one of the magicians. He's supposed to go up on the stage and get Peter Falk's raincoat and take a cigarette and put it out in the raincoat. And we're, so I've already done my scene, and we're invited to come sit in the seats. It's a, it's a theater. The Magic Castle has a theater there, and he's up on stage. Well, as he's doing this, I guess they weren't too happy with him. The director comes back to me. I've already performed some close-up stuff. And he says, do you know how to do that trick? I said, yeah. He says, okay, well, I'm going to call you up to do this. Ooh. So uh, I, he finally called me up, and I go to do it. And now you got to remember, I've been doing comedy magic for, uh, by this time, 15, 20 years. So i got all these one-liners in my head. So even though I haven't rehearsed this routine i'm just throwing out these one-liners and i do the trick i take the cigarette put it out in his raincoat make it vanish give him his raincoat back and we move on so then after that we go downstairs and i start doing close-up magic i mean you know this is part of the show and doing all kinds of things when we're done peter falk and i just spontaneously grab each other and give us 
a big hug. So now I go tell all of my friends, ah, oh, you got to watch this. You got to watch this. Man, I will never have to audition again. This this was just so terrific. So I got my friends, my family, who all come over to my house. We turn it on. I'm not in it. I'm in, in one scene, at, like an extra, way in the back, you can see me. Mm. And I know everybody's going, what? He thinks that's a big deal? <laughs> so I, I really felt bad about that. But that taught me a lesson. I never again ever told anybody that I was going to be on a show. Never. That because is hilarious. I didn't want that to ever happen again. I really look stupid. Tell, tell us about being on The Tonight Show. I mean, that's everybody's dream, right? Well, I, yeah, I suppose so. But that was <laughs> uh, that was with Johnny Carson, and he's gone now. Johnny Carson, the greatest. I mean, I the greatest think, of all time. I think Johnny Carson is probably one of, if not the best comedian entertainers yeah. that we've ever known. Now, there have been a lot of other comedians, but in different venues. But he really the, captured The that. gold standard of hosts. The, yeah, gold standard So how did you end up on The Tonight Show, and what was that experience like? Well, that was Corley Jr., my agent. She invited me over there to do some crazy thing. I don't know. But I, I actually was on that show twice. And uh, I'm glad of that, because the benefit of that is that it's on my resume. And as I'm looking at it, I don't even see it on here. I wonder if I ever put it on. Yeah, there it is. Tonight it's on here. Twice. Yeah, yeah okay. I'm looking at your resume. But some of the other ones that were old. Did uh, you get to meet Johnny Carson? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Uh, he's amazing. He really then, friendly, uh, nice guy. Doesn't come on the set till time to shoot, so didn't really get a chance to sit down and, and just talk with him. Yeah. Also looking at your resume, you were on the Joey Bishop show. <laughs> yeah. Joey Bishop, one of the Rat Pack. Yeah. He was the funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess they were all pretty funny. Sammy Davis, of course. Yeah. But Joey Bishop, what was that like meeting Joey Bishop? Well, uh, there was a restaurant that was close by, and that's where I'd see him more often than on the show. I think it was called Theodore's. I'm not sure. It was on the Sunset Strip. And after hours, they would go there, and he, he would show up there. But, you know... A lot of these the hosts, you don't really get a chance to talk with them. You go on the show and you talk with them on the camera and then, boom, you're done. And they go their way and you go your way and, sure. and collect your check and go home. You did a, a special with Rodney Dangerfield. Did you get to meet <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. One of the <clears throat> fastest comics. In fact, what Rodney Dangerfield said to me was, how come you weren't at the audition yesterday or at the rehearsal yesterday? You know, I says, hey, Ronnie, I already told him I couldn't make that, but here I am today. Oh, okay. And I wear this ridiculous plaid coat. Uh, I don't think that's that's on my clip. I don't it's not so. on your clip. It's in your resume, though. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, afterwards, I said, can I have this? Can I keep this? And they said, yes. And it was it's this horrible-looking plaid coat, <laughs> but I wore it for a while. But Rodney was good. I really liked him because I was a fan of his already. You know, there might there are very few more iconic comedians than Rodney. <clears throat> I mean, he had his own club, mm. he did his own TV specials, and he launched a lot of comedians. And of course, so many of these guys have passed. We've we've lost so many of them. Yeah. I am, I am old enough to know everybody on this list. You know, uh, you've lost a lot of the comedians, and I'm not feeling too well myself. <laughs> <laughs> I got to remember that line. <laughs> you had a recurring role on Days of Our Lives. We had yeah. uh, Before we get into that, we had Sean Stevens on the show, as you and I have discussed. Sean is a good friend of yours. You've done a lot of projects with Sean. Uh, he had a recurring role, of course, in uh Well, he was a daytime. big star. I never was a big star. I, I'm what, on um, Days of Our Lives, I was what was called a U5. And that's five lines or under. They would call it U5. And mm. I played a lot of different parts. You know, I was a politician one time in a suit and tie. And then another time, uh, in fact, they got to know me so well that they wanted me to be a piano mover. And they wanted me to pick the guy that worked with me on that. And they wanted a uh, Laurel and Hardy type of deal. So I got a skinny actor that was a friend of mine. And, and that's what we did. All right, here we go. Oh, great. That's another 
fine mess you've gotten us into. <laughs> and we did the segment that way. And let's see, what else was it? So the politician. And anyway, every time I did it, I was a different character. And, the, and you wouldn't remember it. Now, the thing about doing uh, Days of Our Lives or any of those soaps is there's no residuals. Oh, you'll get a quarter, 15 cents or something like that when they show it overseas. But, you know, they're showing continuity and going from uh, episode to episode to episode to episode. There's no rerunning like Land of the Giants or one of these other ones that they rerun. Yeah. You worked with Johnny Cash one time. Did you get to meet Johnny Cash? Well, I was his opening act. When I was during the times, I was working fairs. I opened for... Crystal Gale, Lynn Anderson, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, Bellamy Brothers, Cool the Gang, Johnny Cash, and a lot of those. And yeah, I did. In fact, <laughs> I uh, they were having an auction for the Western Fairs Association, and the uh, people that were there, the celebrities, would donate items, and then we'd bid on them. And uh, so I bid a hundred bucks on Johnny Cash's shirt, and one of his shirts. I guess he just turned around, took one out of the closet, and handed it to him. So I made the mistake of saying, what size is this? The Johnny says, well, it's, it's tailor-made. Okay, okay, okay. And uh, I said, well, here, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to take your, your shirt. And he said, you don't want it? Okay. He grabbed it out of my hand and took it away. <laughs> so, but, you know, I thought about it. I said, what am I going to do with this shirt? Break it out when company comes over and says, see this shirt? This belonged to Johnny Cash. Oh, Yeah. Well, look, oh, yeah, sure it does. You made that up, Al. You made that up. So I thought, you know, I don't need it anyway. I but think I have, that would have been cool to have Johnny Cash's shirt. Well, I have a picture of him handing it to me. How's that? Yeah, well, see, that's, <laughs> all right, that's just as good. Yeah, better. So I, yeah. Because that authenticates true, it a little because bit. Because it's you and yeah. Johnny Cash together. Um, a few years back, I got a call uh, and was told that we were doing a comedy video. I asked what the name of it was. They said they wanted to name it Latter-day Night Live, but they couldn't because some guy many years ago had done a record called Latter-day Night Live. And so instead they called it It's Latter-day Night! Exclamation point, live comedy, hoping people would make the leap to Latter-day Night Live Tell us why we could not use the name well, Latter-day Night Live. Well, they could have, but when that was just being done, somebody came to me who was a friend of mine and was also involved with that project, which I understand now that you were too. And I says, well, what do they want to name it that for? I, You know, there's going to be a lot of confusion because I put out this album, Latter-day Night Live. In fact, when they this first was released, and it was distributed by Lex de Azevedo, who had Embryo Records, yeah, sure. Embryo Music. It was an immediate sellout and sold out right away. So it was it was a big success. But, you know, it had Gordon Jump from WKRP. Well, tell Cincinnati. us what Latter-day Night Live, the record, is. You've got it there in your hand. Yeah. Well, this tell, is a 12-inch LP. Yeah, this is a full record. So tell us tell us what how it came to be and what it is. Okay. Well, my wife had a friend. Her name is Marion. And at that time, Marion Schlange, as she's... She got married, so she's got a different last name. But anyway, uh, my wife wanted to give her a present, so she wrote the words to grow a garden, which President Kimball was promoting at the time, saying, you know, we should all grow a garden. So my wife wrote this, the music to it, and or not the music to it, but the words to it. And I'm looking at the album now and trying to figure out what the the name of the music was. Here it was... Um, but this is a comedy album. Yeah. Well, this was comedy, too, her words. Grow a garden. Dun, 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 you know, whatever the name of that song is. It says here on the, uh, the liner notes, Grow a Garden, used by permission of uh, music by Handel. Who, who would have been that? You know? Anyway. Uh, so it's to Hallelujah. Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, Hallelujah by Handel. That's yeah. it. Okay, so... I thought, oh, that's really cool. What do we got to do with that? So I went to Lexus and said, hey, how about we do a comedy album? And, I, and he says, okay, so go ahead, do it. So I ran off and got some help and got some people, and we did the album. But the last thing on it is this Grow a Garden, which I really thought was really a big success. So that's on the album, and that's how it got started. Now, at the time, Cal Grandal was doing a, 
comedy book of, of pictures, and he did the cover of Latter-day Night Live, which is really cool because it's got like pictures of all the episodes. But as I mentioned, Gordon Jump and then Billy Barty. So let's talk about Gordon Jump really fast. I am well old enough to remember my parents barely letting me watch WKRP in Cincinnati in the 1970s and early 80s. You can go watch it now. Yeah, now I'm sure. They're rerunning that. Now it probably seems tame, but I don't think I was allowed to watch Lonnie Anderson on screen. (laughs) But Gordon Jump was kind of the Latter-day Saint actor. I mean, he was a big television actor, did good film work as well. Very, very well known. And in a lot of the early church videos as well. So tell us about uh, working with Gordon Jump. Well, he just came in, he did his bit, and he went home. But I knew him more intimately because he was president of the uh, Latter-day Night... What was that called? Um, Alma, that's it. Associated Latter-day Media Artists. Hmm. And he served as president, and I followed him as the next president... And after that, my wife served on that and uh, Alma. And that, you know, it faded into the woodwork. That was a group of Latter-day Saint actors? Well, not actors, but anybody in the media. Mm, okay. So she's Latter-day media artist. And uh, that was a nice group. Unfortunately, people, the majority of the people, there were two groups of people. People that were already established, like Gordon Jump, and then those that wanted to get work and thought that Alma would give them work. And it really wasn't. But it was a networking yeah. group, and uh, we had firesides every so often, and brought notable people from the church in, and that was really great. Yeah, he was a big deal. And then you talk about just Hollywood legend. Tell us who, because a lot of our listeners may not know by name, but legendary. Who was Billy Barty? Well, Billy Barty was I don't know about four foot tall. Yeah, maybe not even that tall, three foot six. I don't know. But he is in countless movies as a little person. And he started a foundation, a little person's foundation. And he had a a very hoarse voice. And, you know, he was an older gentleman and funny, good man. And, in fact, he was even in my ward. Oh, was he really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, gosh, he was in Willow. Uh, which was such a big thing. I mean, he was in just, I'm looking through his IMDb right now. He was in so much. Oh, he was in Sigmund and the Sea Monsters for years and the Bugaloos. I mean, he just has an amazing number of uh, roles that he's known for. He was in Legend. Anyway, Billy Barty was just phenomenal. He passed away 20 years ago, something like that. Beats me. Yeah, well, that's really neat. And we recorded this at Jim Pike's studio. You know who Jim Pike is? I don't. He he passed away just, uh, I don't know, it's been a while now, I guess, maybe a year. Well, Jim Pike is a founding member of the Letterman. Oh, really? And then he reemerged with a group called Reunion, which were doing the Letterman songs. Yeah, great guy, just a wonderful guy. So He's on the album. So the album got sold where? Because this was pre-internet, well pre-internet. Was this in the, the 1970s? Well, let me see. Uh, looking for... Here it is. It's 1982. 82. Okay. Yeah. So well, it was uh, not only at the, the uh, BYU bookstore, but you know, it was being distributed by Embryo, Embryo Records. So wherever they were selling records, that's where it was sold. And then it, it made the transition not too long after this was released from a 12-inch LP to cassette. Yeah. And unfortunately, the cassette didn't have all this information on it. So you could pick it up and wouldn't have the vaguest idea what it was. But I think at most of the LDS bookstores, they were there. And, and the album in the 12-inch is no longer available. But who has a player anyway? I do. I'm a record collector. Well, me too. And then you got into casting. How did that come about? Now, that's a good question. I don't know how it came about. I think I sent you, by the way, the resume on casting, didn't I? Yeah, you did. Did I? Yeah. So, and started out non-LDS stuff, or maybe it started out with the LDS stuff. But if you saw all that stuff for Bonneville Media, uh, including... 
Sean Stevens' Heavenly Father's Plan. That one, Sean Stevens is the lead in that. So yeah, you cast him in Heavenly Father's Plan. In our Heavenly well, Father's I didn't really plan. cast him. The the roles are this: the producer, director, or whomever is actually producing this says to the casting director, Al, this is what we want. Blah 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 blah. So I look through my files and I find people that look about right, and I call them up and say, send in your photo and and resume. And so I get a big stack for each role, maybe uh, 25 to 100 of these photos. I hone them down to the ones I think might look all right. I call those 20 people in. The director looks at them. He says, yeah, bring these four people back in. Let me take a second look at them. So I bring them in and they pick one person. And it's unfortunate, but that's the best way we have to pick people. And so, of course, Sean went to the top of the stack. And, of course, that set his life in a very different motion. So, Well, according to Sean, yeah, and I, since you interviewed him, I've heard him talk about this, too. Yeah. Of all, the, of all the performers you've worked with, are there one or two that really stand out that you got to know well or that you admire or that you had a fun experience with? Oh, golly, I've had fun with them all. I, to single out anybody, I don't know how to do that. And like when you go on a movie and you do a movie and you get become friends with the rest of the cast, and then when you're done, you're done, and you don't may not even see them again. So yeah, that's the way it goes. It's a great career. Do you look back fondly? Like, are you are you happy with your career? Is it fun looking back at some of the film work you've done? Well, I don't look at the film work, but my life has been great. I have just been so blessed. I'll tell you, this life is great. I'm very, very happy camper. What calling do you have right now, or do you have one? Or do I have one? Come on. Who (laughs) who can escape not having a calling? I don't know. I don't want to assume. (laughs) I'm in rotation with the gospel doctrine as a gospel doctrine teacher, and I I uh, have to give a lesson tomorrow, so hurry up with this thing, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet it's really fun to be in your gospel doctrine class. Well, not really, because I, I, I well, yeah, maybe so. I, I want it to be memorable, and I want them to remember things, and yeah, I let some humor slip <laughs> only about 70 or 80% of the time. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I've seen I, performers teach gospel doctrine. I think it's a gift. I think it's a blessing. So, how much are you working now? Are you you're still a full working actor? <laughs> I think earlier in this conversation, or maybe it was before we started, where I I said, "Yeah, I'm an actor." You can tell because I'm broke, desperate, and out of work. Did I say that on tape? Because <laughs> uh, the last thing I did was this Hallmark movie, and that's and as people can see right now as they look through this uh, beautiful audio interview that we're doing (laughs) and i've been told i have the perfect face for radio so here we are uh i have a full beard now and that came about because i did a hallmark movie and that was last christmas season and they wanted me to have a beard so i grew a beard but now i'll tell you the whole story of that i grew the beard for about 30 days did the film and i you know 30 days growth and when i went in they trimmed it down to it looked like about a four or five day growth okay all right okay so I shaved it off. Then in around January, February, I said, you know, maybe I am a more desirable actor, character actor, if I had a beard. So I grew it now, although people can't really see it. I have a full beard, full mustache, haven't cut my hair, and yet <laughs> I'm expecting to be released from my gospel doctrine class any moment now. <laughs> and the stake president has seen me because I recommended to him the other day because he's, he's been a friend. I was knew him way before he became stake president. In fact, he was my home teacher for a while. The, and he lives next door to my wife's sister. So, and my brother-in-law is one of my favorite people who is a Vietnam veteran and has a purple heart. But I digress. Anyway, I was recommending, and I do recommend, even on this audio, uh, The Fighting Preacher. And his, my stake president's reaction was, oh, are you in it? I said, no, because he knows I'm an actor, and he doesn't even think twice, I guess, about the beard. Mm. But if I don't get a good role with this beard, and I've done like 10 auditions over the last few months and never nailed one of them, 
by the end of the year, I'm going to shave it off because it's a hassle. You know, I just soon shave it off and cut my hair short. Yeah, I just started growing a beard in earnest for the first time. I've always done like on vacation. Mm. I don't shave for a week or two, but I've left it and I don't know. The jury's still out. Mine's short and I've kept it short, mm. but uh, the jury's still out. It's well, a little I different. I didn't like it at first and then it kind of grew on me. <laughs> See, now that is a classic <laughs> stage performer line. Well, I'll tell you, a lot of people have looked at me and said, oh, oh, you'd be perfect to play Santa. And I said, no, no. Two years ago, I tried that. And coming down the chimney, I caught the flu. <laughs> <laughs> See, that is the kind of humor that I love. Yeah, Sean, I'd like to have you in every one of my audiences. Right. Because you laugh so easily. Comedians make the best audiences mm-hmm. because we generally like support each other and you love seeing other performers. I don't know. I'm a good audience member. I am. You are. So you look back at the changes over the past 45 years being a member. You joined 45 years ago. No internet. No general conference broadcasts the same way. Church was still meeting three hours, but three individual one-hour blocks when you joined the church. You've seen a lot of changes over the years. Yes. Are there things you miss or are there things that you're much happier with with the church now? Well, I'm kind of discouraged about this latest ruling. They won't let anybody bring a gun to church anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Don't take your guns to church, boy. (laughs) I like Johnny Cash. (laughs) See, that's a chance for you to to re-record that. We could have Latter-day Night Live (laughs) 2, and it could be instead of don't take your guns to town, it could be don't take your guns to church. You know, on Latter-day Night Live, as successful as it was, I never really recovered my uh, costs on it because it cost me about ten grand to bring that to the master tape, and I'd get eighty cents a copy from Embryo Music, and it was a big success. But financially, no, it's hard to make your money back. Yeah, but we have filmmaker after filmmaker and comedian and whatever on here telling that same story that things that are very successful. Mm. You know, the most successful thing I did ever was performing for corporate banquets. Yeah. So we have a lot of listeners who are aspiring comedians, aspiring actors, aspiring performers, which you've done a little bit of all of it. What most sage advice do you have for a young, up and coming actor, performer, comedian, magician, whatever it is? Don't quit your day job. (laughs) (laughs) You mean that, right? No, I don't. No, you don't. Okay. Because it's been a, you know, I think everyone should pursue their dream. They should go after what they really like doing. And that's really what's happened to me is I enjoyed performing and I started performing and it's been very good to me financially. I mean, I don't really have to work anymore except my ego or my desire. My, I want to perform because... We're pretty well set. Life's been good to me. The Lord's been good to me. Yeah. You still love uh, the long days in front of the camera? Uh, You know, Screen Actors Guild is SAG. And doing a SAG movie and doing just a nothing movie, just a bunch of guys putting together, what a difference. When I did this Hallmark movie that I mentioned earlier, that was a SAG movie. And... You know, they give me my own dressing room. They give me my chair on set. They cater to whatever I want. You want some water? You want some food? Uh, You want anything? And it's not a long day. It's just great. It's just, I really like it. Now, my wife and I just watched all six seasons of Lost. One of my favorite shows of all time. Those poor people, they really went through a lot. I mean, thrown in the water, thrown off trees. I've thought about this. Man, I'm sure glad I wasn't on that show. (laughs) But they did film in Hawaii. Yeah. So, you know, there's a trade-off. Well, I don't know. So they were in Hawaii, but they're still getting thrown in the water. Yeah, Thrown off trees and everything. It was a good movie. Yep. Except that the... I don't know. There's parts of it that should be R-rated. We, I'd fast forward even on my DVD past that. And sure. Past it. Al, this has been such a fascinating conversation. We're about at time. You have led a fascinating life. 
I mean, just an incredible, fun life that a lot of our guests who come on who are young aspire to have the life that you've had. Those poor people. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to wrap up with the question that we ask all of our guests, and that is, Al Lampkin, what does being a member of the church mean to you? Well, I know the gospel's true, and my desire is that I might have everlasting life. And uh, that's what I aspire to. I mean, I know we'll be resurrected. That's one thing. But having everlasting life, I really have to mind my P's and Q's and be a good boy and hang on to that iron rod and just move forward and do the right thing. Do what is right. Let the consequence follow. And I certainly try to do that. And some people say, well, how can you be a member of the church and still be in the entertainment business? Well, I've been in movies like I'll look at my resume to remember one of the movies. Well, maybe I won't even tell you the name of the movie, but there I was asked to do this curse word, and I just went through it and just changed that word, put my own word in that would have been acceptable to my Sunday school class. Nobody batted an eye. Nobody says, well, hey, what are you doing changing my dialogue? I don't know if the writer was on set, but anyway, just move forward because you don't have to be, uh, a, you know, you don't have to drag your life through the gutter to be in the entertainment business. You can be bright and cheerful and uh, stay on the right side. Awesome. He is an actor, uh, has been a casting agent, a magician, a comedian, a television personality on screen and off, and just an all-around fun and awesome guy. Wow, you make me sound good. <laughs> I meant every word of it. Al, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your Latter-day Life with us. It's my, my, my pleasure, Sean, and thank you so much for inviting me. And my special thanks to Al Lampkin. What a fun and amazing guy. And I want to thank uh, my dear friend and friend of the show, Nick Galetti, for connecting me with Al. It was Nick's suggestion And as usual, Nick just makes our show that much better. So thank you, Nick, and thank you, Al. This week in my Latter-day life, I had an interesting experience, uh, as so many of my experiences are on airplanes, because I fly so much. I was up in Seattle just for a day, and then I flew from Seattle through Los Angeles down to Mexico City. And I spent the rest of this week in Mexico City. And flying from L.A. to Mexico... Uh, I got on, and the airline was nice enough to give me a free free seat up in first class, which they, they do from time to time, and I always appreciate that, especially on a four-hour flight. It's kind of nice to stretch out a little bit. And there was a family that got on, and they had the cutest, cutest kid with them. And this kid must have been maybe maybe 11 months old, maybe a year, uh, and they had bought a seat. I, I think this child could have been a lap child. But they had bought a seat for this child. And as the family got on, they realized that all three of them had window seats. (laughs) So this one-year-old would be sitting there by himself. And the mother started to panic and said, hey, obviously my, my kid can't sit by himself. He's one years old. And we all got up and we all moved around. Everyone was very accommodating. And as it ended up, I moved one row forward and sat next to the husband of this family. And he was a young, good-looking guy uh, with just so much charisma. And he said, how are you doing? Are you having a great week? And he was just so happy. And I watched him as he took care of his wife and their son. And and his wife was such a great mother, uh, seeing to the needs of, of their son. And he just said, oh, traveling with family is the best. We've been on vacation in Los Angeles. And we got to talking and he said, yeah, we live in, in Mexico City. And and it was obvious that from a lot of reasons that this family had a, a lot of money and that they were just very put together. And he was as nice a guy as I've ever met. And he started asking me about my work and my family. And, and he kept saying, isn't family the best? Oh, I love having my wife here with me uh, and my son. Normally, I just work so much. But to get to spend time with family, it's what matters. And I thought, man, this guy would just be the ultimate Latter-day Saint. (laughs) You know, he's so family-focused. And then after he asked me what I did for a living, I said, so what do you do for a living? And he said, I work in cannabis. 
And I thought, Cannabis? I don't know what city that, where's, where's cannabis? And he started laughing. He said, no, 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 not the city. The industry I work in is cannabis. Cannabis. And he said, how, how do you say in America, uh, uh, ca- ca- cannabis, Ma- marijuana? Suddenly I realized he was talking about cannabis. And I said, oh, you, you work in cannabis, in marijuana. And he said, yes, yes. He said, my wife and I, uh, are some of the largest growers of cannabis in Mexico. And this just took me aback. Now, I have no reason to assume that it was anything illegal. I mean, you know, now uh, cannabis is legal in so many places throughout Mexico as well as in the U.S., but I don't know why. It just surprised me. And we continued to talk, and he told me a little bit about his cannabis business, and I told him about what I do and how different it was. And uh, we had just a wonderful conversation. And of course, as we took off, he put on headphones and so did I. And then once we landed and I went through customs and they were going through a different customs line, different immigration line, because they're Mexican citizens, as they were walking up the ramp and I was just about to go have my little mini interview, uh, he looked and I heard my name yelled, Sean, Sean. And I looked up and he and his wife turned and waved to me and waved goodbye. Have a wonderful trip. And they were just the best people. I mean, just incredible people. I so enjoyed spending time with them. But it led me to think afterward, I wonder how much I would have embraced them if the first thing I knew about them was that the industry was cannabis. And again, I don't know much about that industry, and I'm, I have every reason to believe they are on the legal side of things, but it was just so surprising to me. But I also wonder how often people realize later after they've met me that I'm a Latter-day Saint. And would they judge me differently or have people judged me because they knew beforehand that I was a Latter-day Saint? And I'm so grateful that I got to know him and his wife and their, their son as they were and later found out what they did because it took away any stigma or any judgment I would have made against them. And instead, I got to see the people and what incredible people they are. I think that I can be very quick to judge, and yet I don't want people to judge me for things that they don't know about me. I think the more that we go into life the way the way we're supposed to, just loving all people and letting God figure out every other part of it, the better off that we are. And again, I'm just grateful that I got to know him and his wife and what loving, incredible, wonderful people they are. And I have no doubt that they are out making the world a better place just by being great, great people. And I'm grateful to have met them and to have learned that lesson. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. If you want to reach out to me directly, I can be reached at sean at latterdaylives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're all over social media. Won't you come follow us? And if you get a chance, please leave us a five-star review. It means the world to us. So until next week, when we'll have another show for you, please remember, as always, there is a great big beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 